We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey Chargers fans, this is the Guilty as Charged podcast where we discuss all things related to the Los Angeles Chargers. We are available on all podcast platforms including Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review. We do really appreciate the positive feedback. Make sure and follow us on social media including our Patreon account where as little as $1 gains you access to cool things like jersey giveaways and film breakdowns. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey Chargers fans, welcome into another episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. Uh, it's just me and Alex today. So, Alex, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing uh, pretty good. Uh, the everything everything's going uh, everything's going swell over here, other than the growing number of COVID cases. But everything else is going swell. So, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, also, you know. Co- listen, my opinion is that the college football season won't happen. But whoever gave uh, Rutgers. Michigan, uh, Ohio State, and Penn State all before the bye, you can just bleep off. All right, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to hear about the schedule. But <laughs> uh, I mean, Rutgers was gonna lose those games. Anyway. Yeah, but <laughs> giving them like this gauntlet of all three of them before the bye is a bit. That's brutal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that is brutal. Um, but yeah, it's not gonna happen anyway. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to remain optimistic because I love college football. Yeah. And, and, you know, I got into college football more earlier right. than I did NFL football, yeah. obviously, because I just feel like that's that's pretty normal. But, yeah, just the season happening, I'm not too optimistic about it. I would love for it to happen. You know, the University of Utah has, has an awesome schedule. They could easily open up 5-0, and and then they have the last two weeks against USC and Oregon, which, 
you know, that's as good as it gets, you know, USC and Oregon back to back in November. That's, that's amazing. But I just feel like at this point, the best solution for college football would be to push it back to the spring. Yeah. And at least that would give the NCAA time to, to kind of just wait and see how this progresses. All the smaller conferences are already doing spring anyway. So I just think it makes more sense to me to just push it to the spring, but Right. You know, I, I totally understand, you know, the want to play college football this fall for sure. Yeah. So uh, we do have a good episode planned for you guys. We're obviously going to react to Anthony Lynn's press conference. Uh, and then we're going to get into our top 10 tight ends. Uh, obviously, there's about five and a half weeks from taping this until the season. So uh, we're going to do season previews, you know, diving into the division opponents, which will start uh, this next episode. And then we'll be uh, throwing in the, the top 10 at each position as well. Just kind of give you guys a good amount of content and obviously, you know, hopefully fill the void uh, while football is, is getting back into the rhythm for training camp. Uh, so let's dive into this Anthony Lynn press conference. He, sh- he uh, shared a lot of good information. I don't know how much really we can put into this information because he's only had a couple of walkthroughs with the guys you know they have not had a pad of practice or a scrimmage or anything um but all reviews of tyrod taylor up until this point are positive his comments made it seem obviously that he's not going to be handed the job but he is the favorite um what did you make about his comments specifically about tyrod taylor uh well yeah with with tyrod i think it doesn't make sense to give him the job just because you want you want Herbert and you want Tyrod to go full force and do, you know, the best they can to win the job, right? So even if it's kind of a foregone conclusion that it's going to go to Tyrod because, as Lynn said, I believe a week ago, um, just, you know, Herbert doesn't have the reps, right? And, you know, it would be different if maybe we had, you know, rookie minicamp and OTAs and all that stuff. But unfortunately, just due to the nature of the offseason, he hasn't um, had those reps. So... Uh, Lynn pretty much said last week that Tyrod Taylor was very, very likely the starter. Um, but yeah, so um, yeah, no. But I think it's best to leave it until um, you know the at least towards the end of training camp to name a starter, just because you want Herbert going as hard as uh, you know as hard as he can, and you want Tyrod going as hard as he can, and you want to see the best out of both guys. So I I, I totally support the decision to not name a starting quarterback yet. Yeah, it totally makes so much sense to to give Justin Herbert his shot because, you know, they drafted him at six. If he's good enough and he beats out Tyrod, then absolutely, you know, give him the job and, and you know, kind of move into the future. But uh, I thought it was interesting that Anthony Lynn also highlighted Tyrod's deep ball ability. And that's something that a lot of people have kind of misconstrued is just because he didn't do it super often means that he can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just obviously not really true. I think he is very capable as a as a deep ball passer. And uh, I even looked it up on Pro Football Focus. They had him at 9.4 yards per deep attempt, which was the third highest attempt while he was the starter in Buffalo. So it's not just that he can't do it, like i.e. a Derek Carr. It's just that he didn't have the volume. He is actually a very good deep passer. Uh, which I was glad that Anthony Lynn highlighted. Right. Um, so I think with the deep passing, it's like you kind of want not a ton of volume as a deep passer, but you want efficiency. And I think that's what Tyrod brings, right? 
you know, <laughs> comparing them to another Buffalo quarterback now, uh, Josh Allen kind of sprays the ball all over the field, and, you know, he'll, he'll throw the deep ball, he has a big arm, but he's not very efficient at it, right? So that's that's kind of the thing. And it's like, even if we talk about, like, Phillip Rivers last year, you know, Phillip Rivers, uh, you know, was throwing a lot of deep passes last year, but some of them ended up in interceptions or just were kind of wobbly because um, of the state of his arm, the fact he was older, right? So I think with Tyrod, you get you just get more efficiency uh, with the deep pass. And, you know, no, Tyrod's not going to hit everyone, right? But I think that, you know, when he does hit one, kind of, you know, and you saw this in Buffalo, you know, whenever he... Uh, linked up with Sammy Watkins or, you know, any other kind of like of the deep threats he had, um, you know, during those years, uh, it, it was just, you know, it, it was always kind of a big, uh, you know, play. And they got a couple of those, uh, you know, every so often in Buffalo. So, and I think it'll be the same thing. Um, I'm sure that he's going to link up with Mike Williams deep uh, quite often. So I, I think that that's, I think, you know, I think Mike Williams is going to be really the new, the L.A. Charger version of what, you know, Sammy Watkins was during uh, those Buffalo years. So, yeah, I mean, I think that Tyrod's deep ball is going to be very important to this team, but I also don't think, as Lynn has said, uh, also one of his quotes this week was about, uh, you know, turning the ball over, you know, and Tyrod prevents turnovers, which he likes, right? So, um you know, Tyrod can give you the deep ball efficiency without, you know, producing, you know, 15 or 10 to 15 interceptions a year, right? So I think that's a very good thing for the Chargers, and I think that's clearly uh, what Lynn likes about uh, Tyrod. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think this is going to be a a very entertaining year for this Charger offense, and it's going to be very different in that there's this uh, sentiment out there that it just seems like this is going to be a repeat of Buffalo where, you know, you lean on the running game and you lean on the defense. And Anthony Lynn said that, you know, right now that's not their plan. You know, their plan is not to be a super conservative offense. They're going to let Tyrod do his thing. Uh, so that's going to be another interesting thing. You know, we talked last time about how the defense is going to be more aggressive and have more blitzes and, you know, the offense theoretically they're going to be a little less aggressive, more efficient, but it's not like they're just going to run the ball 50 times a game because they don't, they frankly don't have the personnel to, to just be a smash mouth football team. So I think it's going to be a, a good balance between what we're used to out of a Phil Rivers led offense and what we saw out of Tyrod in Buffalo. Um, yeah. So I think the other thing about that is when you just compare like, I think the talent also, right? So, you know, when you're looking at the talent, I think that that Buffalo team had, I just don't think it's as talented in terms of offense uh, when you compare it to, like, this Chargers team, right? Um, And, you know, that's more to say talking about the offense where it's just like, you know, so for example, like really, you know, the best receiver that they had there in those years was Sammy Watkins. The best receiver that the Chargers have uh, is Keenan Allen, right? And I think we would all agree Keenan is kind of, you know, uh, a, a top five, if not top ten receiver in the league. I don't think Sammy Watkins in Buffalo was ever quite that. Um, so, yeah, so you're just talking about different weapons there. Um, they did have Shady McCoy, who I think is kind of that, that was kind of uh, a little after the peak of Shady McCoy, but he was still very good. 
Um, so, you know, I, but I think that Austin Eckler combined with Justin Jackson combined with, uh, you know, Joshua Kelly, right? I think that they can fill that kind of uh, run-heavy role sort of nicely. Um, and then you look at tight end, right? So you have, uh, you had Charles Clay in Buffalo, who was huge for Tyrod Taylor. But uh, if Hunter Henry is healthy, um, I think that he can fill that Charles Clay role pretty nicely. And um, I think he's a better pass catcher, uh, despite not being quite as good of a blocker as Charles Clay. I do think he's a much better pass catcher. So, um, yeah, when you just look at the Chargers' offensive weapons, uh, I think it's pretty obvious, in my opinion, that the the offense that Tyrod will have here is much better than what he had in Buffalo. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, so he did mention that quite quite a few other things, and I thought his comments about the two young defensive tackles were interesting. Um, him and Joey Bosa in their recent media sessions have both said that Justin Jones looks great. They think that he's going to be a breakout player. Uh, and then coach Lynn also talked about Jerry Tillery and said that they love his athleticism. They want him to, to be this versatile defender that can kind of play all four positions on the line. Um, they've had Damian square in that role where in a, in a pinch, he could play either the Leo or, or the position that Joey Bosa plays. And that makes sense to me. Obviously, he wants to get Jerry Tillery comfortable on the inside, but you know, it totally makes sense to me to get a guy like Jerry Tillery and kind of move him around. Um, any thoughts on the on those two? Uh, you know, when it comes to Justin Jones, I think that he could definitely be sort of a breakout player, especially the fact that he's playing next to a better defensive tackle right now. Right. right. Brandon Meebane just, you know... Uh, you know, I like Brandon Meebane as a leader, but, like, just he was past his prime. Um, and Way past his right. prime. <laughs> probably, they probably held on for too long. Um, so, yeah, so I think Linval Joseph, in terms of what he brings to that, he's, you know, four or five years younger. Uh, I think he's honestly more physical at the point of attack. You know, he's he's got more kind of power um, and a little bit more uh, kind of weight to him. He, he just, um, I think, is more physical and more athletic at this point uh so you know playing next to him and then uh, also Tillery you know getting next to getting to play next to him I think that will result in better years for both of them and then of course you still have Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram on the ends um so I definitely think the specifically the addition of Limbaugh Joseph uh helps Justin Jones and also Jerry Tillery uh quite a lot yeah, I, me Bane, I think he's a, a, an amazing human being, and I, you know, he played uh, and had a tragedy in his family, if I if I recall right. But um, yeah, Linval Joseph is is a much better player, and you know, you could see it on film that Brandon Mebane just wasn't commanding the double teams like he used to, and you know, it just. When you're not, when you don't have a guy up front that you don't have to worry about double teaming, then you can just move right to the linebackers, and that's a big problem. And so, having Linval Joseph is is going to be huge for this team. And you know, he still commands that respect, like you mentioned. He still is a very physical presence. Um, I'm a little worried about the longevity of Linval Joseph, obviously, because he's a little up there in age. But for 2020 and 2021. You know, I feel great about what Linval Joseph is going to bring to this defense. Right, and that's the thing when we talk about kind of longevity. I think that's a really nice contract where you have him for two years and you can decide to move forward or 
you know, uh, move forward with him uh, and sign him to another one or two year deal if things work out or, you know, if he's showing signs of age, then hopefully by that point, Justin Jones will have developed and also Jerry Tillery will have developed a little more and they're both very young. So, right, you can kind of continue uh, with those guys if, you know, jo uh, Joseph shows signs of kind of being past his prime. Now, I, I don't think you would see them this year, but more if you see them in 2021, right, then, you know, you can kind of prepare uh, to move on, I think. Yeah. The law of averages says that one of these two guys is going to have a good season in 2020 and kind of uh, reward the Chargers for their faith and for their patience. The last thing that I wanted to talk about about this is just uh, an unfortunate comment uh, well, I mean, it's good for Gabe Neighbors, man. I think, you know, as an undrafted free agent, you take all the publicity you can get. Um, he said, quote, Gabe, he looks really impressive. If you're picking teams, you pick Gabe. He looks pretty good. And a lot of people messaged me about this because, you know, Tyler and I were really like the first two guys on the Bobby Holly train. Uh, the, the I'm not putting too much stock in this again because there has been no padded practices you know, Gabe Neighbors is obviously more athletic, more lean than uh, Bobby Holly is. So, of course, in a, in a walk-through seven-on-seven situation, he's going to look better. But the minute that Gabe, that uh, Bobby Holly puts on the pads, man, he's just going to knock someone out, and it's going to be this amazing thing. So, I don't know how much stock I'm putting in this. Maybe first impressions will win out with these two. Um, it, uh, you know, I'm just thinking, like, from my perspective, the Chargers need someone on offense, specifically in the fullback position, that is just going to bring that intensity, bring that tenacity, bring that dog mentality. And that's Bobby Holly, and that is not Gabe Neighbors, in my opinion. I don't really know anything about Gabe Neighbors and Bobby Holly. Uh, <laughs> uh, I know that Bobby Holly pushes the trucks uh, real good. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I've seen a little bit of video of Bobby, Bobby Holly and just kind of um, on film and stuff, and he does look very good. I haven't seen a lot of Gabe Neighbors, honestly. Um, but yeah, I definitely think they're looking for more of a physical kind of fullback, because um, Derek Watt was kind of like uh, a special teamer, and he was also doing, you know, he was also a fullback, but he wasn't a fullback in the way like someone, you know, say like Lorenzo Neal uh, or someone like that, uh, was a fullback, right? So I think they're looking for a fullback now that's kind of more in that, uh, in that vein, in that style. Um, and I think that definitely is more Bobby Holly gave neighbors. Um, I do, I do think they'll miss Derek Watt's special teams ability a lot, but I definitely think neighbors and neighbors and Holly have more of that ability to block, uh, on offense. Yeah, that was just going to come down to what kind of style they want out of the fullback because Neighbors is definitely more of like a receiving kind of guy who can block, and Holly is a great blocker who can be a receiving option. So it's just going to come down to uh, stylistically. So any other thoughts about Anthony Lynn's uh, press conference today? No, I don't think I have a ton of thoughts on Anthony Lynn's press conference. Uh, the biggest thing that, you know, I, don't, I wrote an article today that's gotten... A little bit of controversy on both feet. Uh, it's uh, about Desmond King and kind of my thoughts on him and whether we should resign him. But, you know, I want to learn one of these days what role Desmond King's playing. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we still don't really know. Uh, as I kind of talked about in my article on both feet, you know, we keep hearing, you know, maybe Dimebacker, maybe he's the wild card, the jack of all trades. But it's like, you know, um, 
we don't really know what he's going to be, and I want to hear a little more clarity on that. Obviously, you don't want to give it give it all away before week one, but uh, I, I would like to hear kind of what the idea is between having, um, in terms of corners, Casey at the one, um, Michael Davis at the two, uh, Harris at the slot, and, you know, just what exactly are we doing with King? So I would like to hear more about that. Um, so that's the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, um, no, yeah, I, th- I think everything. I saw a picture of uh, Trey Turner and uh, Brian Balaga putting their hands in the dirt. So that's yeah. uh, that's very cool considering what the history of uh, that position has been in the last couple of years. So it's cool that we have you know two Pro Bowl level uh, type guys that you know are really. Um, you know, that really have a chance, I think, this year to make the Pro Bowl and make uh, the right that right side of the line so improved. Uh, so I'm curious to see that. Uh, and then, yeah, obviously, I think the biggest competition in training camp for me, well, one will be the wide receiver three, which I also wrote about this week, but I think the biggest one for me is who wins that left tackle um, between Sam Tevy uh, and also uh, Trey Pipkins, right? Who's going to take that? Uh, from week one, so I think that'll be very interesting to watch as well. Yeah, the Chargers definitely have some things to work out here. Uh, Tom Telesco was on Colin Cowherd's show, show today, uh, and he mentioned that. He mentioned that even though there's no preseason, they have six weeks of practices to kind of figure it out. And and from a veteran standpoint, I think the emphasis, like obviously, it would have been great to have a full off season, but you know, six weeks I feel like is more than enough time to practice and get into a semi-comfortable rhythm and so they'll they'll have to work some things out but you know I'm, I'm excited to to get some more news and really actual news because most of this right now is just kind of hyping guys up and like you mentioned I want to know what is going on in the secondary room I want to know what is going on in the wide receiver room and obviously that left tackle spot and how coach Campen is really helping these guys evolve so Let's shift into our top 10 tight ends. Uh, we're going to go 10 to 1 each, just like we did on the other ones. Obviously, Jason's not here, so um, it's just me and Alex. This tight end group overall in the league is not great. <laughs> um, so this whole, like, there is this thing among fans about, like, ranking your favorite guys in the top 10. At the tight end position, I just don't think it's that important. Because, you know, there's three elite guys. Both of us, I assume, are going to have the same top three. It's really just a matter of who is the rest. So we'll start out with number 10, Alex. Who do you got at number 10? Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Darren Waller uh, out of Oakland. Uh, I think he's really solid. Uh, Put up, obviously, a very, very big season last year. (laughs) Part of that is the fact that uh, Derek Carr can't throw the ball very far, and he's tired of being disrespected. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, but, uh, yeah. Uh, but he honestly is a very good um, tight end, uh, and I think he has the potential uh, both with, um, you know, if he boosts that pass blocking a little bit, he's a guy that I could see being uh, a top-five tight end. Uh, he's just really solid offensively, receiving, um, doesn't drop balls a lot, uh, and he's just a uh, yeah, really solid tight end. Uh, did have a little bit of uh, some, I think he did have some fumbles 
Uh, no, he only had one fumble in one game. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, no, he's he's really solid as both a pass catcher. Um, he's helped Derek Carr. I think he helped Derek Carr immensely last year, uh, especially considering what that Oakland receiving group was uh, with Ty- uh, Tyrell Williams getting hurt, and then you had the whole Antonio Brown thing. Um, right. right, so I think Darren Waller was a huge uh, saving grace, and to, you know, to really have uh, you know, 90 receptions in your first year of starting is just, uh, that's crazy. Um, and he, I think he caught the ball about 80% of the time. So yeah, uh, he, he is honestly, go draft this dude in your fantasy league. But yeah, he's, uh, he's really, really solid. Yeah. Darren Wall is going to come, uh, much later in my list, but that's all right. Uh, number 10 for me, I put Gronk here. I mean, he's old and he's broken, but like, there's no doubt in my mind that he's better than a guy like Eric Ebron or, you know, all these other, you know, Greg Olson type of players. And that's really where the tight end position is at. I don't know how much volume Gronk is going to have this year, obviously. You know, there's O.J. Howard there. There's also Cameron Brait. You know, there is the connection of Tom Brady and him. But, you know, it just, I don't know how much volume that there is that is going to be to go around in this offense. And so... Um, I put Gronk at number 10. I have no idea what he's going to be like as a receiver. I know he's going to be a fantastic blocker because he's always been that. I don't know about the injuries. I don't know about what kind of shape he's in. Um, Most of this is just off of reputation of him being arguably the most talented tight end ever. Um, So number nine, who do you have there? Uh, I have uh, Evan Ingram of the New York Giants. Uh, I like Evan Ingram a lot. He is, uh, one of, uh, I think, uh, a really versatile tight end, has a lot of red zone efficiency. Um, he's just really solid. He, you know, uh, Eli Manning obviously used him a lot towards the end, uh, in New York. Daniel Jones used him a lot last year. Um, has really high usage, uh, is, is another guy where, uh, kind of like Waller, where it's like, yeah, I'd like to see the blocking be a little bit better. Um, but that's kind of the case for, I think, a lot of the guys, uh, on this list where it's like, you have those top five guys who to me are like really solid, both at pass catching and blocking. And then you kind of have everyone else who's like, well, you know, this guy's a receiver or this guy's a pass blocker. But I I do think I I give Engram a little bit of a nod over, um, Waller right now because of the fact that he can pass catch. Now he does have a lot of injuries, um, much like a guy we'll get to later on this list, I'm assuming. Um, so yeah, he does have his history with injuries, but I think when he's on the field, he is really solid. Uh, and last year he averaged something like nine, 10 targets a game. Um, I, I honestly think he's, uh, one of the best tight ends in the league when he's healthy. Yeah. Ingram is also number nine for me. So, you know, it's just the injuries thing. And it's very similar to Hunter Henry. You know, when he's healthy, he's, a, he's great. He's very versatile. Like you mentioned, uh, he's he's definitely that modern tight end where he's like part receiver, part tight end, and so um, his his route tree is fantastic. He can do it all in terms of route running. Uh, I did see a little bit more of a of an effort in the blocking game this past year as well from him. So I think you know he's he's progressing into a more complete player. It's just very similar to Henry. Like you got to get on the field. Otherwise, you're just you know you're going to be in this this bottom uh, of the top ten. So, I like Ingram a lot. Hopefully, he can stay healthy. And I 
I do also want to mention Noah Fant here. I don't have him on my list, but I thought about having him on my list. Um, I think Noah Fant is going to take a big leap forward this upcoming year. Unfortunately, you know, I think there's just a lot of uncertainty in the wide receiver room for Drew Locke, and so I think he's going to be relying on Noah Fant a little bit more uh, this upcoming season. So let's get to number eight. Who do you have at number eight? Uh, number eight, I have the former Atlanta Falcon, current Cleveland Brown, uh, Austin Hooper. Um, he's really solid receiving tight end, um, and, you know, he's honestly, when it comes to blocking, uh, he's pretty good as well. Um, yeah, just really solid offensively, almost like never fumbles the ball. Um, he, yeah, Matt Ryan's been going to him. I mean, really, it's it's been Julio... Calvin Ridley and I guess yeah Austin Hooper these last couple of years is like the prime kind of offensive weapons and um Matt Ryan's been going to him a lot and I think he is uh, I th- you know we could argue about whether he deserved that big of a contract that Cleveland gave him right. to give him the highest make him the highest paid tight end in history uh I don't know about that but uh I think his 2020 outlook is is very solid and I honestly think he's going to help Baker Mayfield a lot because uh, when it came to Njoku, um, I don't know. Njoku is just not consistent enough for me. Uh, and he also has the problem with the drops. Not a great blocking tight end. To me, Hooper fixes a lot of their problems, albeit for a little bit too much money. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think he's going to be a big help to, make a, uh, to Baker Mayfield. And that's why he uh, kind of ends up at number eight on my list. Yeah, absolutely. I think every young-ish quarterback needs that reliable safety valve, and, and Austin Hooper is definitely reliable in that sense. So uh, I actually have Hooper next. Right now I have Hunter Henry. Uh, I know a lot of fans are probably going to be mad at this. I just, you know, he's missed a third of his career so far. Um, and I just, I don't really care how talented you are. If you can't get on the field, then it's really hard to evaluate, evaluate the what if factor to me you know I, I am just kind of done with the well he's healthy if he's healthy he's a top five tight end it's like well he's not though and so <laughs> you have to take into consideration his health he's gonna miss games that's just the unfortunate reality and so he's not going to produce like a top five tight end because he's gonna miss games and so you know at this point in his career if it was after a year or two then the if healthy thing i can understand but we have now four years of Hunter Henry seasons, and he's never been healthy. His rookie year was by far his most healthy year, and that was you know three years ago. So I'm rooting for him. I hope that he is able to stay healthy. I just don't know about his long term in his long term health, and it would be one thing if he had missed games from like a concussion, a, a shoulder separation, and then a knee, and then an ankle, but. All of his injuries are lower limb injuries, and that really concerns me. Um, yeah, I think he's got a ton of upside, and I think Tyrod Taylor is going to rely on him. But you know, it's just the injuries, man. I, I don't know how comfortable I am with him, with projecting him to be playing 15, 16 games this year. Um, so number seven for you, who do you got there? Number seven for me is the guy you just mentioned, uh, Hunter Henry. I'm a little bit higher on spot, but. Uh, I, I kind of agree with you. I think that yeah, a lot of it is the injuries um, that we've talked about. So, you know, obviously when you miss a third of your career, as you said, it's just, it's very hard to evaluate. Um, you know, last year, 
Last year, I think one of the things with him, and this is something, it, it usually takes uh, two years for these guys in sports to really recover, especially from like an ACL injury. Um, yeah. And he rec- he came back so fast right. to play in the yeah. Patriots game. Yeah, uh, to play, in- <laughs> which ended up not really being worth it. But um, well, I think he only played like ten snaps or whatever. True. But still, yeah, um, yeah. So to me, Henry is a really, uh, really elite pass catcher. Um, I think he's really solid in that regard. Right, and there were some awesome catches he had last year. That one he had, I think, uh, he had like four guys on him in the Chiefs game, and he like came down with the yeah. ball. Uh, that was one of my favorite catches of uh, his last year. Um, I think he was sort of he 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 sort of hit uh, a bit of a lull towards the end of the season, uh, a little bit like that Jacksonville, Minnesota, Oakland kind of stretch. But a lot of guys had a lull just because the season was kind of over at that point. Um, but yeah, no, that Pittsburgh game, he was awesome, despite the fact that the Chargers blew that game from the beginning, and then we're kind of out of it. The Tennessee game, he was awesome. Uh, I liked him in the Green Bay game a lot. Um, what's, what's another game that he was good in? Uh, oh, the Kansas City-Mexico game, he was pretty solid. He just had some, uh, good games last year. To me, yeah, the two things are the injuries and the blocking. Um, so... Yeah, the blocking is something that I think has to improve if he really wants to be a top-five tight end because, to me, all of the guys that are in my top-five uh, can block really well. Uh, and that's that's kind of what separates, I think, the top-five in this list from, I guess, you know, the five-to-ten range. So, but yeah, I have um, Hunter Henry at number, uh, number seven, right? Yeah, we're on number seven, so yeah. I think he's really solid, and uh, but yeah, uh, it's all about staying healthy, all about the blocking, and uh, you know uh, that will also play a part in the free agent decision on him, which will come at the end of next year. Yeah, I do think him playing on the franchise tag was absolutely, absolutely the right move. You know, he's got to prove that he can stay healthy. So uh, we have our seven and eight flip flop. I have seven as Austin Huber. You know, things could certainly change in Cleveland. Obviously, he had a great connection with Matt Ryan. Um, but his numbers were just really reliable, and that's what I really liked about him. Um, you know, I'm sure some fans will give me some gripe about having him above Hunter Henry, um, but he's played 18 more games. He has 78 more catches and over 600 more yards than Henry. Or not over, nearly 600 more yards, excuse me. Um, Hunter Henry's absolutely the better talent. He's, been, he's definitely more athletic, but Austin Hooper is just very reliable, man. And if you're a reliable tight end who rarely drops the ball, who is basically always healthy you can have a nice career and that's what austin huber is about to do um so number six who do you have there my number six is the uh new orleans saint jared cook um i think he's really solid uh really solid pass catcher i have him a little bit uh, above henry here um but yeah he's just been a very reliable weapon for drew Brees, uh and he's just one of these veterans that's just kind of stayed around he's always stayed pretty efficient um yeah his last couple seasons 700 yards 900 yards 700 yards again last year um yeah he he's just maintained such consistency over the years and it's been really uh impressive to watch uh even from you know earlier in his career in uh tennessee and uh la um yeah, or, yeah, uh, I'm right on that. Oakland. Oh, yeah, Oakland, sorry. Yeah, Tennessee, <laughs> Tennessee, Tennessee, Oakland. 
Why does it say L.A. on Pro Football Reference? Oh, because the yeah, because he was on the Rams. Or, wait, was he on the Rams? Well, he was on the St. Louis Rams. Right. Okay, I was confused. So he's I was four years in Tennessee. I was confused because on on Pro Football Focus right now, it it just says L.A. 2013, L.A. 2014, L.A. 2015. So I assume they mean St. Louis. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then um, oh, he had the one. Uh, Oh, the one play I always think when I think about him is the Green Bay play uh, that was against Dallas in that uh, playoff game where he got those two feet down uh, with Aaron Rodgers. That was just so magical and so beautiful to see the Cowboys eliminated in such a painful way again. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so Jared Cook is just, uh, he's honestly just been really consistent his whole career. Um, And it's honestly crazy to see him still going like this at such a high level. Uh, so yeah, I got Jared Cook at number six. I also have Jared Cook at number six. Uh, <laughs> we so... got to stop reading each other's list before the show. <laughs> <laughs> we did not do that actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I I think he definitely had a, a career rejuvenation in Oakland, and uh, a lot of that is is because of the volume. Uh, it's a shame that he couldn't stay around in Green Bay because they absolutely could use a guy like him. Um, the thing that stands out to me, though, is that he's generally improved in one area each year, whether that be yards or receptions or touchdowns or whatever. Um, this last season in New Orleans, he averaged 16 yards a catch, which for a tight end, that's pretty remarkable. That's really good. So um, I think he offers a lot of big playability and yards after the catch that is is pretty underrated. Um yeah, I think maybe with Emmanuel Sanders, we might see a little bit of a decrease in volume there. Um, so that'll be really interesting to see how that works out. But I think from a talent perspective, from a reliability perspective, Jared Cook is is pretty good. Um, so now for the top five, uh, I know we'll have at least one disagreement in the top five. Uh, but who is your fifth ranked tight end? My fifth ranked tight end is Rob Gronkowski. Uh, I have Gronk here at number five. Uh, I understand why someone would have him at number ten, um, just because, right, he's had that year layoff um, where he was uh, up in the mountains, you know, on Fox News or Fox Sports, uh, you know, with his various CBD entities. Um, But, yeah, I think Gronk is honestly a very solid uh, tight end still. Um, The thing that separates him for me is blocking. Um, and that's, that's what really puts kind of uh, a lot of these guys in the top five, or they're just a really, really good receiver. Um, but Gronk has always been really good at blocking, really good at receiving. Uh, he did kind of decline a little bit his last year in New England, but I'm curious to see what he does with a year off. Obviously he'll be now in Tampa Bay. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm curious to see what it's like for him, uh, in kind of that system, I'm curious to see also how Bruce Arians uses him, uh, as as opposed to Belichick, uh, kind of because you know I assume there'll be maybe some more like deep shots taken. Obviously, I think he'll be used uh, for Evans and Godwin as well because defenses will have to make the decision to cover you know one of them, uh, and a lot of defenses when Gronk gets hot decide to double team him. So, um, yeah, but I think Gronk is uh, honestly. Still a top five tight end in the league. Uh, I don't agree with his 95 Madden rating, but um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I think tight end is a little oh, bit thin in the league right now. So yeah, but I, yes. uh, I, 
I put him in number five really because uh, of his blocking ability. He's had a year off, and um, yeah, I think he'll I think he'll look good again. Yeah, I just don't like the whole thing in Tampa Bay is is so interesting because you know what the roster is is very contrarian to what we typically see out of a Bruce Arians offense. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to push the ball downfield. And they have a slot guy that is heavily featured. They have an outside guy. And then the tight end historically has not been a position that he has used a whole lot. That's why a lot of people thought that they were going to trade OJ Howard because, you know, he just was essentially being wasted down there. And I think that unfortunately is going to continue for him. Um, So that thing with Gronk, it's going to be really interesting. So number five for me is Mark Andrews. Um, Yeah, I think the upside with Mark Andrews is very high. He actually led uh, all the tight ends this past year in yards per yards per catch. So I think the, you know, it's very, he's very Jared cookie in, and the fact that he is had some, uh, <laughs> had some explosiveness after the catch. And then, you know, he's got a great re- relationship with Lamar Jackson and Hayden Hurst, who is now in Atlanta so I think there's going to be an increase in volume. You know, you have Holly Brown, Hollywood Brown taking the top off the defense. So I think the skill around Mark Andrews and the increase in volume should lead to a pretty big season. If he had around like 70 catches or like 70 catches or so, I would not be surprised this year. So uh, Mark Andrews, I think he, I don't really know enough about him as a blocker because they didn't really use him as a blocker. Yeah. Hurst was more of the blocker. So, um, you know, it's interesting because he was their number one receiver, but he was third in snaps from the tight end position. So um, Mark Andrews definitely has nowhere to go but up, and I'm excited to see how they use him going forward. So who do you have at number four? Number four, I have Mark Andrews. Uh, there we go. So, yeah, we kind of are a little bit different, a little bit some differences yeah. on this one, but we've been transitioning <laughs> pretty nicely. Uh, so yeah, so with Mark Andrews, yeah, as you said, he has a really great relationship with Mark Jack, uh, Mark Jackson. <laughs> Mark Jackson. We've been watching too much basketball recently, man. Uh, Mark Jackson. Uh, yeah, he has a really great relationship <laughs> with Lamar, um, and I think definitely you're going to see his volume increase after the Hayden Hurst trade. So he had 64 receptions last year. So he almost had 70 receptions with Hayden Hurst still there. there you go. So it's not crazy to think he could get 75, 80 receptions, maybe 1,000 yards. I, I honestly don't think that's past him. Um, he is just so- a really solid, uh, I think, route runner, really solid receiver. He can get those yards after the catch. And um, he's a big red zone threat as well. Uh, ended up getting 10 touchdowns uh, in his rookie year. Um, yeah, he, he's just honestly... Uh, the blocking is kind of a wait-and-see thing, because as you said, um, yeah. you know they didn't really use him as a blocker last year, so it's it's wait-and-see. Because they uh, also have that, uh, I want to say, boil... Uh, I don't really know that. They're like third time yeah. on the death chart is like exclusively, you know, he's right. like a Virgil Green type where he mm. plays a ton, but he's just a blocker. True. Yeah, I, I, so yeah, that could be the case where they put like Nick Boyle or someone like that to be kind of a, a blocker while uh, Mark Andrews plays the kind of receiving role. Uh, so yeah. So, but yeah, no, Mark Andrews is just a really solid receiver. I had him in fantasy last year and was so happy. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, no, but yeah, he's, he's really solid with Lamar, and as you said, uh, 
now that they have Hollywood Brown uh, kind of more in there, and, you know, they kind of have uh, a couple more interesting offensive weapons this year, uh, I'm curious to see what Mark Andrews is going to do with a full year as the starter. So, and that's that has a lot of potential to be special. Right. In terms of, like, fantasy football and stacking two players together, if you're a quarterback early kind of person and you can get Lamar Jackson and then you can pair him with Mark Andrews later on, I feel like that is a uh, pretty safe duo for fantasy football purposes. Uh, so number four for me is going to be Darren Waller. Uh, I know that he only has the one season, but it was an amazing season, man. You know, 90 catches, 1,100 yards. He was basically the number one target for Derek Carr. You know, it's Derek Carr. You know, how much stock do you put in it? You know, I just think in terms of skill set, he can really just do it all. He can run every single route. He's explosive after the catch. He's a good enough blocker where I'm comfortable putting him this high. Um, like I mentioned, Mark Andrews is just kind of unknown. Um, but, man, I, I I hate how much I love Dar- Darren Waller because <laughs> I, I really do think he is a special, special talent. Maybe it was just all the hard knocks love, but I don't know, man. I, th- I think... This is definitely a potential play, but he had such a good year last year that I think he's going to even just get, you know, he's going to reach another level this year. They don't really have a number one receiver. You know, Henry Ruggs is a speed guy. We don't really know what he's going to be like. He never had a thousand yards at Alabama, but the threat of that speed should open up a lot of opportunities for Darren Waller. Even if Derek Carr is not like a great deep ball thrower, I think just the threat of Ruggs there is going to open a lot of things for Waller. And, you know, if he had 100 catches and 12, 1,300 yards, I would not be surprised at all in 2020. But then again, Derek Carr has shown some uh, some love for Hunter Renfro, so maybe that kind of takes away from Waller. But for now, you know, the production for one year is enough for me to put him at number four. Uh, that being said, we're into the top tier. Obviously, it's going to be Ertz, Kelsey, and Kittle. Uh, what order do you have them in? Uh, yes, yeah, so I have Ertz at three. Um, so, yeah, when we talk about Ertz, um, he's just a really uh, solid receiving tight end, okay blocking tight end. I think a little bit more of his blocking than uh, Jason did. But... Um, yeah, I think Ertz is just really solid. He was so important last year because the Eagles had just every receiver just, you know, had to have some terrible injury. Um, and then, you know, <laughs> Carson Wentz's top two targets by the end of the year were like Greg Ward and Zach Ertz. And then Zach Ertz got hurt. So <laughs> it, was, yeah, it was just a disaster. Tough. But um, he, he like uh, ruptured his kidney or something, didn't he? Or not ruptured, lacerated, I should say. Uh, I don't remember exactly. I think it might have been something like that. Oh no, I think it was ribs. I think I think it might have been ribs. ribs. I don't, ribs. Okay. I don't remember exactly though. I might be wrong. Um, but yeah, so no. Uh, Ertz is just really solid. Uh, I think he st- uh, he kind of started and finished the year pretty strong. Um, yeah, the Ertz is honestly just kind of a really complete tight end. He can kind of do it all, and you know. Uh, I'll never forget him leaping over the leaping over the goal line in the Super Bowl and you know having that kind of moment where the referees had to review it for like 20 minutes because they didn't you know because because yeah. <laughs> they had the Jesse James thing happen uh, with the Steelers longest review ever man yeah that was so long um but yeah so 
yeah, no, Zach Ertz is just really solid, uh, great route runner, uh, and, you know, he, he just, you know, you can throw the ball to him and he'll get it, uh, you know, and Wentz has uh, been aided, I think, so much in his development by having a tight end like yes. Zach Ertz there. Yes, absolutely. Uh, for me, it's just the re- reliability factor for Ertz, man. You know, he's not, he doesn't provide as much upside as the next two guys, but he's got uh, five straight seasons of 70 catches and 800 yards each. So, you know, he's consistent. He's reliable. He, he reminds me a, a little bit of Jason Witten in that fact that he's not like the highest upside guy. He's not the most athletic, but he's just going to come in and, and bring his lunch bell to work and he's going to get the job done and, and be consistent and, and be open. Like that's what he does. He just gets open and is, you know, he is the main target for Carson Wentz. So, uh, I have Travis Kelsey at number two. Who do you have at number two? Uh, same. Okay, so Travis Kelsey, we could see a little bit of a decline now. You know, he, he is approaching age 32. Um, but he is savvy enough in his route running that I feel okay about his long-term future. Um, any any kind of doubts for you about his long-term future? Uh, no. Also helps to have the you know the best quarterback ever yes. throwing you. So yes, <laughs> that that helps. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, I, I think Kelsey's really solid. Um, a really good pass blocking, run blocking tight end. Um, you can kind of do it all in that regard. And then of course, uh, just his pass catching. Uh, and you know he now that he has Mahomes. Uh, the other thing that just aids Kelsey so much is, right, you know, like he has Tyreek Hill and all these, you know, great receivers on the Chiefs that, you know, you have to be so concerned about. Um, and that opens the game up for Kelsey because, you know, I, I would say during the Alex Smith tenure, uh, in in that kind of era, there was a lot of like maybe some double, uh, double teaming of Kelsey and it's just so much harder to do that now just because of yes. all the other weapons that the uh, Chiefs have. So, yeah, I, I honestly think Kelsey's going to be due for a couple more uh, monster kind of seasons. Um, he's only he's going on 31, so I honestly think he can play at, at his current level probably three or four more years. I don't think that's too far-fetched, um, which is unfortunate for the Chargers. But yes, um, I guess we'll see what happens with his contract because uh, the Chiefs now are going to find themselves in a bit of a financial uh, hole, and then they'll have to extend Hill and Kelsey. And so we'll see how the money works kind of in that sense. But, I uh, yeah, no, Kelsey is still uh, top two tight end in the league for me. Yeah, it seems like they're kind of headed for do we pay the weapons or do we pay the offensive line kind of situation or do we kind of split the difference and we'll keep Mitchell Schwartz and Kelsey and let Tyreek walk or vice versa. So, and, you know, you mentioned the Chiefs receivers, man. Like, even their fifth receiver, like Byron Pringle, like he can come in and be an explosive guy and, you know, take the top off the defense. So, they definitely have their their type of receiver, and it obviously plays into Kelsey's hand as as the lone guy working over the middle. Which, you know, you kind of got to pick your poison. And do you stop the deep threats, or do you let Kelsey run wild, or do you stop Kelsey and let the speed run wild? So it you know it definitely is an unfortunate outlook for the Chargers. <laughs> but uh, number one, George Kittle for me, I think you know I, this debate 
Uh, for me, ultimately, it comes down to blocking because I feel like George Kittle is just as good of a receiver as Travis Kelsey. I feel like Kittle is a little bit better after the catch than Kelsey is, but I feel like Kelsey is a better route runner. You know, he's more fluid in that regard. But Kittle, man, he blocks better than probably two-thirds of the linemen in this league. He is just so good and so nasty as a blocker out there. And, um, you know, he is the key part in their outside zone scheme because he got he has to set the edge every single time, and he loves it. So, I again, this is another guy I don't love to like because the Bay Area teams here where I live are kind of super annoying. <laughs> but, <laughs> Uh, I love George Kittle, man. I think he's he's a fantastic player. And, yeah, that was one ranking from the NFL Top 100 that I actually did think they got right was George Kittle in the Top 10. Right. Um, yeah, to me, what, what separates Kittle uh, a lot is just, just the physicality. Like, you... Yes. <laughs> that clip of the Saints, like, having four guys needing to bring him down is still one of the most, like, insane things I've ever seen. Or that one where he's blocking that guy into the end zone, just laughing the entire time. I yeah, love that one. Um, just the physicality, uh, the speed, uh, as we said, and uh, also uh, also the run blocking. I think the run blocking is something that separates him from other tight ends because I think other tight ends are kind of either good at passing or run blocking, but he is really, really solid at both, and I think particularly with run blocking, and that, that kind of became apparent with... Um, you know, the 49ers ground game last year, and that was uh, really, really potent, uh, partially because uh, of what Kittle was doing in the blocking game. So, yeah, no, and he's, uh, I think he's the best receiving tight end in the league. Um, He's the best blocking tight end in the league, and just overall, best tight end in the league, and um, yeah, and Jimmy Garoppolo will have plenty of fun being carried by him to more Super Bowls, <laughs> um, probably. So, yeah, no, but uh, yeah, I think I honestly, if I had to kind of tear it out, to me, Kittle is honestly in a tier by himself. Um, I I think that just everything everything he brings in the game with his physicality um, and all of that, it I just don't think any other tight end compares at the moment. Um, you know, we'll see what some of the other kind of younger tight ends uh, do in their, uh, you know, next couple of years here. But to me, Kittle is, you know, Kittle might be the king of the tight ends for a long time. Yeah, that is very true. So, uh, I do want to touch on this for a second. I mentioned, uh, Noah Fant as a guy that could kind of crack this list maybe at this time next year. Uh, do you have someone that was just outside of the top 10 that you think could move into the top 10 uh, after 2020? I wouldn't say he was just outside the top 10. I think he was a little more outside the top 10. I like, uh, if, if we're talking in terms of 2020 upside, he didn't get a ton of reps this year, but I like uh, TJ Hawkinson a lot. Um, I think Stafford Stafford's going to like throw to him. Uh, with him, it's just... Yeah, I I think it was kind of he, he he sort of had a pretty good start. Um, he had that big game in Arizona where he had like a hundred, God, I don't know, hundred twenty yards, something like that. Um, and then it was like nothing after that. Yeah, uh, and then the production kind of dwindled, and he kind of hit his kind of rookie wall a little bit. Uh, he he did have some you know fifty yard games. Um, I don't know if I see him breaking to the top 10 necessarily, but I could see, okay, if he has a full year of Stafford, 
um, and he has a couple, you know, and Detroit looks a little bit better, um, you know, I could, I could see him cracking top 10, top 15, uh, but yeah, I definitely think the potential is there, it's just about, um, it's just about him having, uh, more reps, uh, and more, uh, more plays, and, uh, more time to develop with, uh, Stafford. Yeah, for sure. It's something about those Iowa guys, man. <laughs> Linemen and tight ends, they just come into the league and and you just like them right off the bat. So that's an interesting one. I do want to ask you also about uh, Dallas Goddard, being the Eagles fan that you are. You know, Obviously with Ertz there, it's a little bit tough for him. Um, what What is the potential for Goddard there in Philadelphia and potentially outside of Philadelphia in a couple of years? Oh, Goddard, yeah, I think Goddard's one of the one of the better, um, I, I would say he's one of the better receiving tight ends in the league. Um, you know, obviously he doesn't get the reps because of, uh, Ertz, but even last year he still had like, uh, I want to say 60 catches, something like that. Uh, he was still pretty close and I want to say, yeah, I'll look it up exactly, but yeah, I think he had like 600 yards. Um, so yeah, he's still, uh, honestly really good. Great receiving tight end, great blocker too. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm not going to be thrilled when, you know, it's probably going to come down to not keeping him whenever his rookie contract's up because they have Ertz. not going to be thrilled about that. Um, but yeah, he's, he's just really solid. Uh, that, uh, the play I always think about when I think of Goddard is the one where, uh, I think it got called back as a pass interference, but he was just like sprinting. Uh, sprinting the Dallas end zone, and uh, that was such a big play in that game. Uh, it kind of reminded me of that uh, that Jason Witten run to the end zone a couple of years ago when I think he lost his helmet. Uh, but yeah, he is just such a um, such a monster, and I'm gonna be very sad if he ever does leave Philly, um, yeah. just because he's yeah he's really solid tight end. Yeah, so he, he just finished his second year, so after 2021, he will be a free agent. Um, and he had 58 catches for 607 yards and five touchdowns last year. So very solid over there uh, in Philadelphia. You know, as far as tight end duos go, I think that's pretty clearly the, the best duo in the league. Hey, don't sleep on uh, Hunter Henry and Donald Parham. <laughs> hey man if donald parham can be ladarius green 2.0 i'll be so happy for sure um any other thoughts on the tight ends before we uh wrap up today's show no uh i think that's uh i think that's about it for the tight ends um also uh shout out to virgil green you know he goes a little bit uh he goes a little bit unappreciated as a blocker but yeah. uh we see you yeah love love virgil green man he's just a Every team needs those guys that are just come in and they have one role and that's pretty much it, but they excel at that role and that is Virgil Green. So shout out to Virgil. Um, this was a fun discussion, man. I think the tight ends, you know, there are some younger guys out there uh, that have some higher upside. And then, you know, of course you have a guy like Eric Ebron that could produce at a high level. So uh, the tight ends, are, it's uh, kind of a disaster, but it's also kind of fun. <laughs> um but yeah, man, that this was a good episode, and I think this is uh, a lot of good discussion going on about where we see players around the league. So happy to to do this. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed this one. Um, oh, the last thing I wanted to talk about, which we forgot to talk about earlier, is that the Chargers have not heard from any player 
about opting out. Now, the, the deadline is tomorrow. We are recording this Wednesday night, so that could change. Um, but it seems like the Chargers are, uh, you know, Anthony Lynn and Joey Bosa said that they are being a responsible team. So that is good to hear from the Chargers camp as well. Yeah, um, yeah, I think it's pretty clear that most of the players have showed up to training camp. There's been no um, no holdouts from training camp this year, so, I mean, it's pretty clear, I think, that all of them are uh, showing up. Um, I guess there could always be a guy that has a last-second change of heart or something, um, but, yeah, it seems pretty clear that uh, they're going to go through with uh, training camp and try to start the season. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, John Gruden is a total psychopath, and, um, <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> that was so weird. Yeah, it, honestly, John, so for those who don't know, John Gruden apparently, or the Raiders told their players that Gruden uh, had coronavirus um, to test how they react, which sounds, I, I tweeted it, that it sounds like something Michael Scott would do in the office. Yes. Um, but oh, yeah, man. it's so Michael Scott, and it's still uh, just such a weird guy. I I don't know what the Raiders are doing with him, but... Uh, he's there for the next uh, seven years or whatever. So he still has seven years left, man. It feels like he's been there forever already. Yeah, but... I think he's. I think he's at three, right? He started there in twenty. When did he start? Twenty seventeen. Yeah, yeah, I think it was twenty seventeen. Was his first year. So yeah, I think he still has seven okay. years left, right? Yeah. Man, he's a he is a character. <laughs> I think it, it it brings some quality entertainment, and I think you know people in Vegas will like him, but. That is weird. Like to just test your team like that is <laughs> is odd because now if he does ever get it, it's gonna be like, oh well, are you kidding again or like <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Um, shout out to John Gruden. Also, we appreciate you taking Colton Miller over Derwin James. Yes, <laughs> thank you for that, man. Good old Raiders. So. That'll do it for today's show. Make sure you follow us on social media at Stephen I Hagland, at Alex Landsdorf, and at GSA Podcast 17. Uh, if you do feel so inclined, make sure and support us on Patreon, where we will be doing some more breakdowns as the season gets closer. Uh, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in.